Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. One of my favorite exercises to use with the K-Box is the K-Box Zercher Squat. Uh, the big thing with the equipment they provide is the bar is padded, so it's a lot more comfortable than you would be with a barbell, but it still is going to be all the upper back, leg, and core work of the normal Zercher Squat. Couple pro tips that I'd say here, make sure you've got a little bit more room on the strap at the top than you would guess so that you can keep it flowing smooth up and down. And I prefer to start this exercise at the bottom. So sit back, get all the way down into that deep squat position, chest up, abs tight, and start driving up. With the goal to keep your posture high and move fluidly through the range of motion, this is an absolute favorite of mine and I hope you guys give it a try with your K-Box today. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over 100 different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Doc, fired up for this, man. Thanks for being with us today. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, well, listen, man, before we get too far into this, let's let everybody know who you are, where you're at, and how you got up there to, to Maryland. So, uh, Justin Lima, I got here to Towson University in uh, January of 2018. Prior to that, I was at University of Iowa with the football team for five seasons. I was at College Park, uh, University of Maryland, two years prior to that, and then at Harvard University for the year before uh, Maryland. I got to Towson uh, because of a you know familiar contact with the two of us, Mike Chapman. Uh, Mike Chapman was the director here, and um, he reached out to Drew Wilson. So Drew Wilson and Mike are super close. Drew was my um, supervisor when I was working at uh, Maryland in 2012 and 2013, and there was a football position open, and you know, that's how I wind up coming here. Moved my wife, who was seven months pregnant at the time, so she's an absolute troop. Yep, she's a trooper. And Iowa is where she was born and raised. So I was taking her from her mom, her dad, her two brothers, her entire family to move to Towson when she was seven months pregnant. So note to everybody out there, make sure you marry the right person because if you don't, your life is not going to be as easy because she was all on board. We bought a house, um, been here ever since. This is where my two, uh, two son were born. The hospital about two miles from our house so I'm a father I'm a husband I'm a coach and I'm a learner well, we could almost do a 30-minute show about how you had to make up for that in order to survive to this point I think but yeah. 
She's a trooper, man. Seven months? Seven months pregnant. So what I did, um, and to like, so the way it all worked when I wound up, like, cause the story of how I got here was even, even just as crazy because, so I worked on a Monday, I caught a flight out of Iowa to Towson Monday night. Chapman picked me up from the airport Monday night, stayed at the hotel, interviewed on Tuesday, flew back to Iowa Tuesday, worked on Wednesday. He called me with the unofficial offer. Human resources called me on Thursday. So Thursday was my last day of work at Iowa to tell everybody how to take over my responsibilities. Um, packed up the little things I could, left on Friday, got to Towson on Saturday, met the head football coach here at a basketball game to talk during the game. Um, then me and my head assistant, Joe Alexander, we went to the weight room to see the stuff that we had because there was a team meeting on Sunday and the semester started on Monday. So I literally flew in on Monday. Then the next week I was working. So she moved out by herself then? She, so what she did was her parents, when she was seven months pregnant, packed up our apartment uh, with the moving company. And then I flew out there during spring break and we drove her car uh, across the country. So that way we, we could get here um, and have her car too. Okay. So for all the young coaches out there that complain about having to move and uplift and do things quick, uh, rewind this about five minutes listen to that again and tell me that it's that hard because dude she's a she's a ball again i'll say it again like make sure you marry the right person um because not only has she helped me like even the, the first day i started my phd i was like i haven't been to school in five years like i'm she's like stop it you're fine and then with the moves and she's you have to marry the right person who adds to your life and doesn't take away yeah, man. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, too, because, you know, you introduce yourself as Justin Lima, even though you do all that work to change your first name. It's, it's not very often that you get someone in a head strength coach position that's a PhD. You get a lot of people that are in those sports science type things, but not people that are actually out there running the drills, getting the athletes ready, doing the prep work. So let's talk about that process and, and A, what brought you to it and B, what was the, the research? So I got my PhD in health and human performance from Concordia University, Chicago, did it all online. And I started that in uh, August of 2016. So I finished it in just under four years, probably would have been done or done sooner. Um, so to anybody out there who is doing PhD research, uh, get really good at writing IRBs, get really good at writing um, informed consent documents because I probably would have been able to be done six months earlier, but I had to wait to conduct my research just because I needed to do better with all that. Um, but started in August 2016, and that happened because of um, Nick DeMarco. So Nick and I, we worked together at Iowa. Um, he lived in the apartment complex right next to me, so we used to play NCAA and Madden quite often together just at the end of our days just to relax or on the weekends when we weren't in season and he was the one that told me about there's a phd program and so we started that together coursework is a lot easier than doing the actual study and the dissertation um but my dissertation was on rsi and force velocity profiling for um, ncaa division one football athletes 
love it. I think that that's something too, especially the RSI that's become really like a, a lot sexier of late. You could probably give um, a little credit to that, to, to that rugby guy down the street. You know, he talks about that a bit. Um, but also I think that force velocity profiling is something that is minorly misunderstood um, from people like the methods and, and what it can tell you and how it, it helps and, and this and that. So touch on that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, you know, what, what yeah. are you doing with that? What's, where do you see the pros cons and differences to it? So the biggest thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to make it, I wanted to make it with stuff that could actually be used and replicable because when you read, first of all, there was no research, no prior known research to how to improve somebody's RSI with an intervention. All the prior research was done on like, what is RSI? How can you measure it? Different drop jump heights and the different speeds, um, force velocity, profiling there was a lot of different jump training but there was nothing on like how force velocity can improve your rsi so the practicality of it was i wanted to standardize the box drop height i wanted to standardize um, some cutoff numbers in terms of what your rsi number is whether you needed force or you needed more velocity and then i wanted the intervention to be applicable because when you read a lot of these research, it's, you know, assisted pulleys from the ceiling attached to your waist in a lab. Like nobody has that. Um, or you're utilizing the same type of apparatus, but it's pulling you down from the floor. So the way I just went about it was um, individuals that needed more force because they already had a high RSI. They're getting off the ground fast. They have a decent RSI. Let's increase how powerful they are in the same amount of time. So they were doing weighted barbell jumps. The individuals with a lower RSI, they're on the ground for a while. We just did band-assisted jumps because most people can purchase, you know, um, super bands from Elite FTS or from Perform Better, put them on top of the rack, pull them to your chest. All right, now it's, I know you're not unloaded completely with your body weight, but it assists and now you can get your nervous system to contract faster and then, you know, see your improvements in your overall elasticity. I dig it. So then what did you end out seeing? You know, I, especially when we're looking at the barbell jumps and that sort of stuff as a Berkashansky yeses nerd, that's kind of right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And so what we saw was that the force group, you know, they improved RSI pre to post. Um, the velocity group, they improved RSI pre to post. We ran a control group though, and they improved RSI from pre to post. So there was no statistical findings in differences amongst the groups so what that made me do because when you do your research you're not supposed to actually like have a bias um i did i thought that there was going to be i thought that there was going to be a, a more dramatic change um but statistically speaking there was no difference and what it made me realize was when i looked at the training age and i looked at um how old the participants were they were pretty young people so I guess it almost lended the hand to specificity needing to matter later on. Because if the control group wasn't doing the specific jumping, that meant the normal training was giving them the adaptation that we wanted, which is pretty much why I do the one by 20 like what you guys have, or it's linear periodization. Because like you said about here, it's you squeeze the toothpaste, you can do it anywhere and get toothpaste out of a brand new tube. 
you have to be specific as they get older. So with these, you know, with these kids, they were had a low training age and everybody's RSI went up. So we look back at, or I look back at the program and you see, okay, they had high force movements when we were doing Olympic lifts or we were doing squats, lunges, trap bar. And they were also getting high velocity movements when we were sprinting and jumping on the field. So it just, to me, it didn't say that the intervention doesn't work. It just said it didn't work in this population compared to not doing it because their training age is so low that you don't need to get that specific yet. Save that for when they need it. Don't rob them twice. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's so huge because like, I'd almost wonder if you went back and you still had access to those guys, if you did it again, it would be different. So like what I'm going to do now later. Yeah. So the, the plan now that we don't have a season is, you know, our training, we can just be super like, this is the time to, to do that type of things. We can, we'll now have a larger sample um, with the guys that we have on the team and we're just going to check RSI, we're going to check vertical jump, we're going to check horizontal jump, um, and we'll be able to do it amongst true freshmen, you know, red shirt. So we'll have five different groups, and then we'll actually be able to see, like, okay, does the normal training affect all those different metrics for those guys? Because when I first got here, like I said, I got here in January of 2018, um, everybody was on a foundations level program because the training when I first got here, like the prior staff, they, the kids were doing warmups with hula hoops, like upper body was here and lower body was with a, on their, on their hips. Um, so in the weight room stuff, they had never paired exercises before. Like everything was just you doing like, you're going to do five hand cleans and you rest, you do five more hand cleans. You do that for five sets. And then you're going to go to your trap bar deadlift, right? Like, so they had never paired exercises. They had never done change in direction work on the field, let alone agility work, running shuttles. So when I got there, they were all very, very novice. So I think it would still even pertain to the stuff that we say as sports performance coaches that like even your most advanced kids say he's been with you for four years. Well, what if that kid had never really lifted in high school? That means that kid has a training age of four. Like how mature really are they? Do they really need a, a conjugate? You know, we're going to do oscillatory from a disadvantaged position with chains and bands and super maximally centrics? Probably not. But if you do have the very few kids that are that way, you know, then you can keep that in your back pocket. But I think, um, that my first study kind of proved like, okay, college age kids aren't that super advanced when you think about it. Um, and now I'll be able to run like a secondary study. I actually just filled out the IRB. So that way I can try to publish a couple of different articles from it. I love that too, man. Cause you know, so many people like to say that the young people we get to work with are elite. You know, if you not saying if you as in you, but like if, the listeners actually look at what would the classifications of the athlete be based upon the old Soviet model. It, it, college athletes are middle level. 
period. I yeah, and I you you're right when you say they're elite. They're elite at their sport, right? Like they're elite at doing. For me, it's football, and that's a wide range of whether moving three hundred pound individuals or running routes and catching the ball. For you, they're elite at you know coming off of a screen and shooting jump shots or rebounding and putting it back in. But in terms of you know that's why the one by twenty works until it stops working, just because you don't need to everybody said it you don't throw a grenade at a fly you don't get chemo for a cold like you just you give them what they need to drive adaptation so that way you can keep providing long-term adaptation over time yeah and making sure that you're providing the the most appropriate stimuli for the necessary adaptation at the moment and i think that that's a good little segue that you brought up there to get into kind of the days and times we're living right now where you guys were in a really unique situation, right? Where, you know, you, you had the, the team back, things were cooking, getting prepped. And then unfortunately got the rug pulled out from under you. And I think that one thing that would be really cool to talk about is what did you learn? You know, like I, I just posted something today where like you see all these people posting all these things on Instagram right now, right? Where, strength coaches are, are talking about, uh, you know, like this is what we're doing. These are the workouts we're doing. These are the exercises we're doing. And it's all the same. Like we've sat here and we've talked, we've been like, yo, like we got to learn. We've got all this time. We do, you know, like uh, uh, Drake and all the guys at Hawkins Dynamic did a great job with, you know, the coaches versus COVID. But like, what did it change? You know, like people are all still doing, it's like the same stuff like the same exact workouts they were doing before. And it's like, well, if we really said we were going to take all this time to learn and to change, we should learn and change. But now we've got an opportunity to listen to a coach talk about, yo, this is what we did and we came in and we did. But now we got a chance to be like, yo, so that's what we were doing. Now when everybody comes back, you guys have a new perspective. So what are some takeaways that you had having the guys there? And what is that going to do to drive – better prescription for the rest of the student athletes when they return? So I think that's a great question and a great point. And to your whole, why aren't people changing? Um, I think because for a majority of people, they don't actually, they don't actually do what they ask their athletes to do. And I'm not saying that they do the same weight or run the same speed, but like, first of all, too many strength and conditioning coaches don't actually go outside and run acceleration, max velocity, change in direction, agility work. They don't do any of that. Um, and that to me is problem number one. They all stay in the weight room. They, I think Dan Paff or Stu McMill were the ones that say they have a PhD in the weight room and they have a, you know, a high school diploma for on the field. So that's problem. Yeah, it's Dan, I think. Yeah. And then, so I think that's where it starts. And then, the other problem is a lot of strength coaches or sports performance coaches, they are on, they're getting ready for a powerlifting meet. They're getting ready for an Olympic lifting meet. And so they only do, they're going to keep getting ready for that meet. So they're going to keep doing those things where it's like, you need to be a guinea pig. You need to be an N of one. You need to try it. You need to see how it feels. You need to see what it feels like to, on a high CNS day, put some hard outputs on sprinting and jumping and then go in the weight room and do you know, minimal amount of work. Um, but that's why I think there hasn't been a lot of change just because the coaches themselves, they get married to exercises rather than adaptation. So 
what we did is going back to what you said, we're, we and myself, I'm principle based, right? Like when I interviewed with chat, like I was like, okay, I want to do this number of days, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, well, first things first, we have 15 racks, all the different athletes. We have this limited number of fields. So your program needs to be dedicated or predicated on what you have and then your kids. So for us, in terms of when we came back, what we had was we weren't allowed to go into the weight room. We had to be outside. Well, we couldn't just bring all the weights outside because that equipment still has to last us when we are allowed to go inside and then when COVID ends. Um, so it forced us to be like, okay, what are our principles of strength and conditioning? Specific adaptation, progressive overload, um, and just doing sound foundational movements, right? Like let's just increase resistance over time. Let's work uh, extensive before intensive. And what we did was we're like, okay, have prowlers. Prowlers are a way to load the body. And it's like, okay, how good of a strength coach are you? That was one thing that Mike had really, really emphasized. He's like, I think good strength coaches are the ones that are able to do stuff that don't have the same stuff. Like anybody can walk into Clemson or Alabama's weight room and you can prescribe whatever you want, but like who can actually, who can get as much juice and squeeze out of it when there's not that big of a fruit. So we're like, okay, Prowler, what can we do? We can push it. We can march with it. We can walk backwards with it. We can do an RDL with it. We can cross over, we can lateral push. And it's like, okay, I'm getting a lot of lower body muscular adaptation. You and I talked earlier, it's we're gonna lay down fascial strains because at first, everybody, it was muscles, and then it was movements over muscles, and then now with the anatomy train stuff and um, the different – the way that things have progressed is now we're looking at laying down fascial strains on the body. So now we can work that, you know, lateral sling. We can work the crossover sling. Um, okay, how else can we use the prowler? We can push it from the handles. We can push it with TRXs. We can row it. We can do reverse flies. We can do pecs. We can do biceps, triceps. So you can then be like, oh, wow, I can actually, I can use this as a stimulus to drive adaptation for a high, like, and then you still just apply the principles. Charlie Francis, high, low, high CNS days were on his graph. It was, you know, Olympic lifts, hard sprints, and then like heavier squats. Well, you can still drive adaptation like, okay, I have a prowler. So we can use heavy pushes. We can pair those with, max effort sprints and jumps on our high days and then our low days can be an upper body emphasis with tempo runs and then we can just be really appropriate with how we do our tempo runs our skills and big skills they can run far right they need to do that our bigs what we did was we had them doing a day of crawling so we would typically have them grapple they're not allowed to grapple but if i have them crawl I can get their shoulders, pecs, every upper body stuff, you know, Andy Ryland, upper body prep, get them ready for what's going to happen. But in order to not overwork them, the next day on that second low day on Thursday, um, linemen can do lateral pass blocking both ways. They can do um, backwards pass blocking. D-line can do tempo efforted, you know, pass rushes. And now you want to talk about laying down fascial strains now they're actually getting used to being overextended and one leg's up. 
Um, and you just tell them the same thing. Hey, we're doing this at 60% effort. You're not going to go as far because that's going to take longer. So when we had the kids on the uh, field to stay socially distant, put them up on five yard increments so they're 15 feet apart. Hey, you're going to do it from the sideline to the hash. Hey, skills, we're going to run across the field because it's only week one. We're going to go 53 yards. Um, once we were going to go to the longer stuff, we would have gone fully across the field. But like I said, we're still just in week one. Um, and that's how we were able to, to, to give them a stimulus of still the same principles, high day, low day. And then we just looked at all the different qualities that you still need to hit. A cell, max velocity. Um, we do change in direction at the same time that we do agility work. We just call it laying down the fascial strains. So we would even do the um, change in direction for our tempo work because for our skill guys, yes, you can do some tempos across the field, but they have to be able to change direction. So we did some low level change in direction for them. Um, and then we just regressed everything. So on our max velocity dominant day, we did pull out the timing gates and we still would compete, but we did a S curve and it was only 15 yards. So you're not going to reach max velocity, but you still have a little bit of intent. Um, and that, that way they can, you know, still kind of compete with each other on our a cell dominant day. It was five yards. Like you're not going to hurt yourself running five yards, especially when the venom dose was two reps. We said right leg in front, left leg in front. And this was after we did extensive work on dribbles and, uh, med ball knee punch drills like we we actually took pride in taking the things that we learned because we didn't do the whole drink by the water hose like we truly were smart it was like okay coaches versus covid that's really valuable to us um altus they're they're really good at getting people to run straight ahead gonna kind of pour some time into that strength coach network there's some really smart people here instead of just trying to take in everything and then not apply it. So what we did is we just took in selective information and then not only would we synthesize it, we would synthesize it and then say, this is how it can work for us and this is the plan. So then now looking back at it, you've had, CA shut that was it last Friday or was it the Friday before that? So we're two weeks from now, it's been two weeks since they shut us down. So now what are you, when you look back and now you're looking ahead to the rest of the student athletes get on campus here in two or three weeks, what have you learned and how is that gonna impact what the entire performance staff is doing to best prepare the athletes going forward? We can make the weight a little bit heavier on the harder days. We were we undershot and we did that on purpose to be conservative. Um, the upper body stuff, we could probably take a little bit of the load off so that way it's an even easier day with that. The biggest thing that we took away from it outside of the programming, like we felt really strong about the programming and um, we're obviously going to dumb things down even more now. We were getting ready for a season, and now that we're not, um, we'll reevaluate in terms of, you know, the, the days that we train and our structure with that as well because we were actually training on Saturdays, um, getting ready for camp. We would practice. We lifted Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursdays were off. Friday, Saturday. So we'll, we'll reevaluate um, exactly how we're going to go about those days. 
But the biggest thing that we, and I think other people start to realize, and you might be able to comment on this too, was nudging the players to stay socially distant from each other without having to overly be mean about it. So something as simple as like, if there's one entrance, one exit, but the kids sit down on the bleachers to put their cleats down, when group one is done and group two's there, they're all dapping each other up and not like, so understanding like, okay, what we did was once the kids in group one were done changing, we set up a bunch of cones on where the exit was. Hey guys, when you're done, when your cleats are on, bring your stuff, put it over here. So that way when they're done, we just kept them apart from each other. Um, and that was one of the things because we just didn't want the optics to look like, you know, players are not following what they need to do because the contact tracing can just, it can so fast because it's not we don't decide it ad's don't decide it it's the university and the university is gonna you know protect itself to make sure nothing happens um but in terms of our we felt really promising just because again with for us we were on the field we were able to be outside for five days um now how that looks in terms of when practices are coming just because we don't necessarily know what that'll be so that'll truly just be, okay, we give us, give us a little bit of time. Let us know, okay, hey, we're going to be able to start practices in small formations in three weeks once school starts. Okay, so we need to prepare them for change in direction. We're going to follow that same recipe of these are the things we need to do. We'll regress them so that way by the time they get ready for it, they've actually had that chronic exposure. No, I dig it. I think that, you know, obviously the biggest problem right now is the whole idea of, you know, them protecting themselves and them getting out of the way themselves and just listening and being told and doing what they're told. Um, when it comes to that whole social distancing, wash your hands, wear your mask. Um, I'll tell you one thing too, is it, it did expose like, for us, you could see the guys that, you know, we program on Team Builder, right? And we're, we're telling them and you, you're just happy when you know that they're doing stuff. But like you could tell the ones that actually did the stuff that you program because it's like, oh, you don't look tired crawling. Like, oh, you don't look tired. Like, because we take pride, like we really do take pride in making sure that we don't want any of those, you know, the little soft tissue upper body stuff, right? The little nags that just come from playing a, Every sport is a contact sport, football and lacrosse. Like those are, those are, um, you know, full contact, right? Like, so there's a collision that's going to occur. Um, but that tires you out and that challenges your vestibular system. And like, so the kids that were at home that didn't want to do it, like we really saw how that challenged them. Um, I think that is one thing that we did learn. Like we got to make sure we keep doing because even for our sports like lacrosse or, um, you know, Lord forbid in soccer, like we don't want a team, you know, to hit somebody when they go up for a ball or they get just hit in a weird position and they're not used to it. So that's something that we all are like, these kids really like, we got to make sure we hammer this stuff to keep them healthy. Yeah. And I, I think that the one thing that people like to talk about that I don't think we necessarily have been doing, we overall as a whole, just by looking at what you see people doing and conversations I've been able to have is, like we all talk about like you've got to really train for that bottom third right now you know to make sure that they're prepared because it's easier to add 
stuff for other things. But like, if you're not really like, we do like we use Coach B Plus. You guys use Team Builder. Like, I can tell you the last time any of these kids looked at the app. Like, some of them, it was the day they added it to their phone. Yeah, and and some of them didn't of add that. it to their phone until they needed to do their COVID screen the day they got to yeah. campus, you know? And so. the other part of that is it's just like with Blackboard. Like, there's no proof that they – like, if a kid submits something on Blackboard, it doesn't mean that he actually did it. Like, you could – even if Team Builder was time-stamped, it doesn't mean anything. Like, the kid could be playing Fortnite and then just set an alarm. If you – yeah, like, you could just hit the button. I mean, if you were going to be that kind of – a a coach and that's where it truly boils down to like what were your relationships like with the kids you know you have your bell curve where kids like you're gonna have a third that do nothing third to do everything and, and then how do you take care of that middle third um but you know hopefully you can start to shift it where it's closer to you know only a quarter of the kids don't do that stuff but that's where like i said there's no perfect science to it they're gonna be on their own like and you just have to trust them it's real yeah. and like you said for us you have to plan knowing that those are those type of kids. So when like, okay, we were doing our, our crawls for our linemen, you know, like it should have only taken them on an extensive level when we're running across the field, you know, told the skill guys, we want nine to 10 seconds. Like we're not out here. And they ran too fast. Like when we looked at the GPS data. So it's like, okay, how do we nudge them again? We just constrained them. We took some of uh, coach Garish's stuff and we ran with our hands over here. And we worked front side mechanics and it slowed them down to the speeds that we wanted. Um, in a similar way, there we had a couple of linemen that were struggling and it would have taken them 15, 20 seconds to crawl to the near hash. Well, we're not trying to work that way. So it was like, all right, you're lit, like at 10 seconds, I was like, stand up, walk to the hash, and then you'll do your next rep. Like you just have to, that's where you have to, as a coach, um, put yourself in those kids' shoes too. Cause like, okay. COVID, you're away for three and a half months. Not only, like, what if you were that kid that was struggling doing the crawling upper body prep, but during COVID, you had two brothers that you had to watch because mom and dad were still working or because mom and dad couldn't leave the house because they were sick. Like, the parks were, you, you didn't, ha like, there's never been a time where you can't get mad at a kid for not being able to go and exercise oh, let's go in and throw social injustice, right? Like, there's a lot of stressors on these kids. And the way we were looking at it was like, I told my staff, I was like, we're just happy to have these kids here. I was like, there's no yelling. There's no nothing. We are truly just happy to have them back. And that's when, when you have those systems in place. And I have a great staff of people who are, I led them. I told them, hey, this is how we're going to do the drills. Um, so they're leading drills and then I can look, okay, who's struggling here? You know, I got a coach leading the, the speed work and then, okay, this person needs help. I can tweak and I can modify here, but um, coaching isn't yelling. Coaching is nudging and setting up drills to get the things you want out of it. Like I could have just yelled and MF them like, this is tempo work. You're, it's like, no, like just create a constraint that gets what you want and the kids are still having fun. No doubt, Doc. No doubt. I think that that's a great way to say it, man. Like, coaching isn't just yelling. It's nudging and setting them up to figure out what they need. It's simple ways to make sure that they understand what they're trying to get out of it and, and to keep moving them forward. Doc, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. This is, this is chock full of great stuff, man. I, I really appreciate you being so open and honest 
you know, with your sharing and I appreciate everything you're doing up there. And, and uh, before we go anywhere, man, I gotta, gotta say a shout out to, to our guy chat, super cat, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the best people out there, salt of the earth, earth dude, who always been there to rap and, and talk everything from training to life to all of it. And uh, appreciate him and appreciate you giving him a shout out and appreciate your time today, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show, Jay. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch real soon, buddy. Appreciate it. Cheers. Good. Yeah, man. Yeah.